I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Yo, what's good, Celtics fans? Sorry it's a bit late in the day, but you know the score by now. If the game's on the night before, we're going to try and get to you a little bit later in the day so you can get those reactions. And we've got lots of good reactions. It's all good vibes. It's a happy Monday. I'm joined by my boy, my co-host, my compadre, Mr. Will Weir, living it up out in Austin, Texas, sipping on that coffee because, you know, it's, what, 9.30 a.m. for you? 8.30, man. We up, we up, we up, we up here with the hot co- hot pot of coffee just to, just to make sure we get those reactions in. At 8.30 a.m., I mean, that's some commitment. Everybody needs to <laughs> applaud Mr. Will Weir. Before we jump in, I did tweet this out, but I'm very upset at the lack of people that came to my defense with uh, Greg's bullying comments earlier <laughs> on the last podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit hurt by that, so I'll take any DMs of support. Jokes hey, aside, though, and, you know. The, Celt- the Celtics themselves are bullies, so I think you're in good company. <laughs> yeah, dude, I mean, serious bullies, they're not playing around, man. I mean, you see uh, Jalen Brown dropping his shoulder into dudes, Tatum bouncing off guys, Grant Williams just like, yeah, I'm stronger than everybody. AKA the Batman, me. or as he wants the to be Batman. called. <laughs> I don't know. We need to think of a way of, like, like sprucing that up a little bit. Yeah, it's it, and it's it's really hard to give yourself a nickname too, unless you're Shaq. Like Shaq's like the only guy that has really ever gotten away with like, hey, here's my nickname, and he did it, you know, twelve hundred times because there's an endless name, uh, the endless. Big Aristotle is my favorite. Yeah, the big Aristotle, the big Shamrock, you know, Wilt Chamberneasy, like you know, or Shaq Chamberneasy, whatever he called himself. Like there's, <laughs> there's 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 too many to go on, so it's really hard to get away with giving yourself a nickname. But he also is the one that gave Paul Pierce the truth nickname. So, you know what I mean? Like, like Shaq's kind of got the cachet for it. Grant, love you, my guy. I love the confidence. I love the way you're playing. I love that for some reason you are kind of Jokic's kryptonite. Like we, we've seen this before. Like this isn't the first time that he's done really well against the Joker, but we got to chill with giving yourself the nickname. But I do love seeing Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown like advocating like, hey, Grant wanted me to say, it. you know, we have a good friend. It's like, listen, man, like I, I, I don't really want to do this with my friend. He's my good friend. He wanted me to say this. He wants to be called the Batman. I don't get it. Not happening. So I, I love Grant, but maybe not. Maybe not that the best nickname. I might become the biggest advocate for it though, just because it'll be fun. <laughs> just just a little zag when everybody zigs. Yeah, Grant the Batman Williams. I mean, like <laughs> you say though, this isn't the first time he's dealt yeah. with with Jokic. Last season, he basically played Jokic off the floor. Yeah, that if was that matinee thriller. That one that was yeah. uh, that was so that was last year. That's the game that I think. A lot of people forget about because last year we had that little bit of PTSD with, oh, no, it's a matinee start in the Celtics just for whatever reason could not get it together for matinee starts. And that was the one game where everything kind of came together and it was especially like what, like halfway through the third until that beginning of the fourth. They went on some massive run, like 30 to four or something. And a lot of that was Grant Williams guarding Nikola Jokic. So, yeah, I, if I, know I remember exactly correctly. They sat Jokic as well and then said, oh, well, we've got a back to back, so we need to rest him. And it was like, nah, dude, Jokic just weren't doing nothing. That's yeah. what he's saying. I mean, hey, it, history repeats itself again last night. You know, yep. second half, the coach Mike Malone sat all of the starters, including Nikola Jokic, for that first, whatever it was, five or six minutes until he finally brought him back in. So, you know, it, I mean, maybe there's something to Grant's, to Grant's wanting to have this nickname, but uh, he, he certainly has been, you know, a difficult matchup for Nikola Jokic. So, I mean, he does deserve a ton of credit for that. Maybe we should call him Grant Harley Quinn Williams. 
Harley Quinn Williams because he's the Joker's foil a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> Broke away from the Joker, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, we could go Grant Bain Williams. We could we can just run through the DC names. We'll workshop some stuff. For yeah, him we'll yeah. workshop it. We got it. We got it. I mean, when you look at this, one of the things that really stuck out to me, just in terms of narrative, talking about last time they played in Denver last season and. Like, I'm not saying that last season was an excuse filled year, but they definitely found ways to kind of let you know that games aren't easy, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of teams, whenever they go to play in Denver, they're like, hey, the altitude plays a huge factor. You know, we're so many miles above sea level, where it's called Mile High City for a reason. This year, the Celtics came out and looked like the altitude didn't touch them one bit. They played at a high pace every second of the game, uh, throwing bodies everywhere, physical game, which is going to wear down your cardio as well. I mean, is this team just fitter than last year? Are they just in better shape physically? I mean, they keep they keep putting in workout sessions after wins, so maybe that has something to do with it. They win a lot, they work out a lot. Maybe that is improving their cardio. I mean, but uh, but on serious though, like I do think that's p- potentially a possibility. And you know, think about back to last year. Now, this has also been a COVID ish year, but you think about last year, how much the team was affected. By yeah. the different by the different COVID, you know, people that had to sit out. Tatum specifically talked about how he was using an inhaler for the first time. So I think factoring in just the overall general health may play a role. But then also, you know, it's like I, I don't know how to like fully wrap my head. But but when the, when the vibes are good, things tend to, to roll a certain way. And this team has some really great vibes. So between the health and the vibes, I do think that you know that just plays a role. And hey, it doesn't matter where we play right now. We're ready to beat up some fools. And that's just the way the Celtics are playing. Somewhere out there, Shemi Ojale is looking on with like really envious eyes. Like y'all are working out this much, y'all weren't yeah, with yeah, me. Yeah. He was like, "That was my go-to. That was what. That's what I was good at. What yeah, did we do that last year?" <laughs> Jason Tatum's on all these Instagram lives. Like, who's the strongest in the locker room? Shemi's like, "You weren't saying this last year, bro. yeah, right, you know right." The I mean? Ojale factory is no longer there. <laughs> oh man, poor Shemi, man. This would have been the perfect team for him. Just, you know what I'm saying? Uh, anyway, moving on. Poor guy. Poor guy. I mean, he went to Milwaukee, so it wasn't that poor for him. Um, when he was watching the game, what stuck out to you? I mean, for me, I've wrote, I've just finished writing something on Grant Williams kind of snapping out of his slump because he did have that like five, six game stretch where he was mm-hmm. quite bad. Offensively, defensively, he's continued to be good. Uh, I don't know if you read my piece over the weekend, but I wrote about the Celtics using Jalen Brown more as a play finisher, which you know I've been harping on about for months at this point. And he operated in that role again yesterday. If you notice, very little, like he isoed a few times, but you know when it's a good score, yeah. you give him the. But for the most, he had part, a little bit of a James Harden point. breakdown at one point. I can't remember he if that did. was in the. I think it might have been in the third quarter where he kind of just gave him the iso. You know, James. I was actually waiting for that James Harden quick pass to the side where it was maybe yeah. going to go out to or the, the double step line. back. Yeah, no, a travel, exactly. but a travel double step. Back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, that was pretty. But yeah, to your point, like, you know, one of the things that's been really great to see is that from the bubble and all through last year and, and really even through the beginning of this year, we really saw teams go to a to a zone defense as a way to slow down. Anytime the Celtics kind of got going, they were like, all right, let's just go to a zone defense. For some reason, CYO and AAU teams can figure it out, but the Celtics can't. That's not the case anymore. The Celtics have found ways to attack that. And a lot of that has to do exactly what you're talking about, where, you know, they're getting Jalen Brown in its attacking position, whether it's, you know, coming off of a Jason Tatum double team or through the zone, getting the ball in the middle. And then Jalen Brown is kind of attacking the basket from one of the diagonal slots on the wing. And that's been a huge bonus. It's been something that's been very apparent in the last couple of games for the Celtics. Uh, You know, last night, last night, what really stuck out to me, Adam, if I'm being honest, was, 
the play of the various second units of this team. We know how good the starters are, right? We, we've gone over the net ratings. We know what it is across the league. We know defensively how good they are. And now that, you know, Al Horford has been back to, I'm going to steal Sean Grandy's uh, remarks here. Since a lot of the Celtics have been progressing to the mean, as far as their shooting goes, rather than progressing. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. It was so good last night. Like, I have to steal that, but they've been progressing to the mean and what Al Horford does when he can shoot. We, we know what that does for that lineup. What I think we've been trying to figure out is what is the depth on this team? What does it look like when we don't have our aces out there or all of our aces? And, you know, they talked a lot last night about these Tatum Pritchard lineups and how they kind of play off each other. And so you're seeing with these second units and, you know, Derek white, who his shot hasn't been there, but I still, we've talked about this the last couple of times, his shot's not there, but I think he does a lot of other really small things, whether that's keeping the ball moving, whether that's, you know, getting into the lane and just creating, you know, that that side-to-side movement. Like, there's a lot of positive things that Derek White does. So looking at that second unit, and they were really the ones that were the catalyst for that 35-16 to 16 second quarter, where it was just like, it It almost felt like a video game when you get, like, too hot and you're like, oh, the AI is going to break in a second. It's just going to start. I'm just going to start missing everything because it's making it's letting me make too many shots right now. And that's kind of the way it felt in that second quarter. And that was really a result of that second unit, you know, a second unit grouping anchored by Jason Tatum, of course. But that's what I've been actually really interested in. I thought that really stood out to me last night is how much those units are starting to hold their own. And it's not just about having your top five or six guys. You can have the Peyton Pritchards and even Daniel Tice's last night, who I thought played really well. So I think it's getting support from from that area. The team was what really stood out to me last night. I mean, that bench unit now, uh, ridiculously reliable from free. Like, you know, especially when Tatum's out there, because then you've got Tatum, you've got Pritchard, you've got Grant, you've got Tice. Like, those four guys are obviously on different levels, but all of them are reliable three-point shooters at some in some form or another. And then you usually have like, okay, Derek White, as you say, his shots aren't falling. But at the moment, I think he's the fastest decision maker on the team, probably the best decision maker outside of Al Horford as well. Like he just fits exactly what they need him to do, put the ball in his hands. And look, ideally, like in a way, I'm kind of happy shots aren't falling because it's forcing him to keep that ball moving. And mm-hmm. if you, if it, Look, if you're going to struggle, but you're going to struggle and really hone in on every other aspect of the team's scheme and what makes this team tick, then what, by the time your shot comes back, you're already so ingrained in making the reads, knowing where guys' shot spots are, that your shots are going to become very flow-orientated. So rather than taking six shots, you might only take two. But you, you, you're facilitating so much by your movement, your screening, blah, 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 that this might actually be... Uh, like a blessing in disguise type of thing. And then I, you did mention like Tatum and Pritchard playing off of each other. And I think that's a, uh, I think that's pertinent at the moment because both of them set records last night. You know what I'm saying? So I think we need to mention that as well. Like Tatum took um surpassed Ray Allen for yeah. all time threes as a Celtic. And then Peyton Pritchard set a record as well. I think it was five or more threes in a game without missing. I think was the yeah, record. He went five for five last night. Yeah. yeah I, first Celtic. I, I, I didn't so. see that. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I wasn't, I knew the Ray Allen one with Jason Tatum. I didn't know the Peyton Pritchard one, but yeah, I mean, he went five of five and actually something I wanted to highlight here real quick, Adam was just the difference in, it, it, I mean, we've talked to how many times have we talked about shooting on this podcast? I, it, oh, endless endless times. Let's like, I'm basically every time. So I wanted to just take a look at like, what really are some of the big differences on this team? And so I just use pre and post all-star break as an example, but really it goes back even further than that. But Peyton Pritchard, Jason Tate and Marcus Smart, Al Horford, here's their shooting percentages from three pre all-star break. 
Pritchard, 36%. JT, 33%. Smart, 31%. Horford, 30%. Post-All-Star break, Peyton Pritchard, 50%. Jason Tatum, 42.4%. Smart, 41.7%. Horford, 37.2%. Progression to the mean. Now, obviously, some of those are a little bit higher than what you're going to expect, but the point being, the way that this team is shooting is, is flowing with the way that this team is playing defense and the way that this team is succeeding. I mean, first of all, I'm going to come straight back to that, but I need to fact check yeah. myself because I fa- I got my fact wrong about Peyton Pritchard. So he has set a record. It was he's the fourth player in NBA history and the only Celtic to do so to make at least four frees without a miss in consecutive games. So he went okay. four for four against Sacramento, five for five against Denver. So it's the first Celtic to do that. And then you're saying progressing to the mean. I mean, I don't know if you saw the tweet I put out just before we came into this. Uh, into this recording, but it's since the 1st of January, the Celtics are eighth in the league in three-point percentage. This is the yes. same team that overout throughout the season, a 20th in three-point percentage. Like, the, the progression in making them shots, because if you remember, I remember going back early in the season and literally counting how many wide-open looks the Celtics had over the course of like so many months. And I was like, Yo, they're just not making them because they're getting the best looks possible and the ball's just not falling. And we had those discussions about whether or not it was because they were using a new ball, was Tatum tired or what, you know, was it just that they they don't... I mean, I remember postulating or one of us postulated, hey, it could just be in protest to Udoka's coaching style. I mean, we <laughs> were throwing so many... Throwing every idea against the wall and seeing what sticks. Seeing what (laughs) sticks. And then come to, like, the one thing that we always kept going back to was the shots are going to fall eventually. It's a long season. And now they're falling. And as you said, multiple guys since the All-Star break have all of a sudden just seen a huge resurgence in their scoring. And that's a narrative now. I think even Brad Stevens said recently, look, he's going to tell Jason Tatum it's all-star break on the first game of the year. To <laughs> yeah, see yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just the way it goes. Which, and it is really interesting that it takes him a little bit to get going, but that, that's that been the case the last three years with him. And look, if that's what, at the end of the day, for me, it's like this. If Jason Tatum's going to struggle early in the season and then get this hot every year after the all-star break, when you need him to be mm-hmm. hot, I'm okay with that. I mean, I'd like a higher We'll find a way. Yeah, we'll find a way around it. (laughs) Yeah, we just need to bring in somebody that gets hot at the beginning of the year and then tails off. You know what I mean? Just find that guy. Maybe that's Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown. I mean, that's that's kind of how they do it in game anyways, you know, right? Like Jalen's kind of the opener and then Tatum usually kind of, kind of builds up to whatever his game is going to be. So, you know, it's, it's maybe we just need that. You know, Jalen kind of was doing that to be honest, the beginning of the year, they got hurt a little bit. So, you know, like that, that is entirely possible. And that's part of, you know, by the way, we got to shout out, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown back to back 30 point games for, for each of them. You know, now I think that's six times this year, I believe they've done it, where the record for the Celtics was, I think, four with Bird and McHale. They broke that with five in Sacramento, and now they're at six after the after the Nuggets game. So, you know, the two of them, you know, as far as all the conversation around what's the fit, can they play together, looks pretty darn good right now. I mean, I'll hold my hands up. I was one of the guys that was like, yo, you know, if you need to trade Draylon, then a playmaker's probably going to be your best bet. I remember having this discussion yeah. with you multiple times. And I wrote this on the weekend where if you can play Jalen more rough ball and let Tatum lead on ball, then these two guys fit together like a glove. And I think yeah. uh, Paul Pierce, I think I mentioned this. I don't know if I mentioned this in the last podcast. Paul Pierce did um like a panel last week at some okay. point. And um, they asked him, like, what does it take to be a di- dynamic duo? What 
what elements do you think are key to being a dynamic duo? And Paul Pierce was instantly like, what, both of these guys, when you're a dynamic duo like that, both guys are capable of being the primary offensive option. One guy has to swallow a pill and basically yeah. be like, yo, I'm going to sacrifice a little bit because this is how we're going to make things work. He was like, Kobe and Shaq did it for a season or two where Kobe kind of swallowed that pill. But then Kobe was like, nah, dude, I'm better. I'm the number one guy. And things kind of fell apart. And if Tatum and Brand, if Brand's going to be a little bit more off ball like that, then you can say like, okay, Brand's kind of swallowed that pill a little bit. And now these two fit together like a glove. And if this is the, the end product of that, and this is what we've been waiting for all these years, next, the next few seasons are going to be scary for everybody else. Yeah, and I, and I do think that's a really interesting point because I think that puts it, it does put a little bit of pressure, more pressure on Jalen Brown in that scenario I think than it actually does Jason Tatum in a weird way. Even though Tatum is expected to be the one and kind of carries you, it, it puts an interesting pressure on Jalen Brown to number one, like you said, kind of swallow that pill, be that number two. But also, you know, we look to a game like the Mavericks from a week or two ago as that number two when the number one is being taken away by the defense or is having an off night because of what the defense is doing, you also have to, in a weird way, be ready to step up and be the number one and carry that scoring. Yeah. So you, you really have to, you know, have the right guy in that number two spot. And I think Jalen Brown has been doing a really nice job of that over these, you know, last couple of weeks or so here, but I think that's going to be a very, you know, top tier talking point during the playoffs, because that's what teams are going to try and do. They're going to try and copy the defenses that can are going to try and copy what the Mavericks did when, you know, they held the Celtics to 92 points and they're going to try and force everything to happen in similar ways. Now, I think the Celtics themselves have been counteracting that to your point of rather than having Jalen be the playmaker out of that double team, it's going to go to smart. It's going to go to Rob. It's going to go to Al. And then, you know, Jalen's going to be attacking off of that when you have a four on three for that brief moment. So I think the Celtics have even already started to counteract that. But I think those moments in the playoffs when your number two needs to be your number one for a night, at least scoring wise and be kind of that leader, those are going to be nights that are really going to be amplified and highlighted. And that's going to be very interesting to see how that dynamic plays out when you get to a seven game series and it becomes a lot of, you know, chess match basically between the two teams about what you're going to do to counteract. So I I think that's a really interesting answer that, that Paul Pierce gave. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out in these big amplified moments in the playoffs coming up here soon. It's going to be a curveball, and I can see Udoka doing it one game or maybe like here or there where he plays Tatum as an off-ball spot-up guy because yep. Tatum can be that guy, an elite version of that guy. Another guy that's been, in my opinion, has been really on a tear recently just in just in the way he's kind of operating as a screener, the way he's operating as an outlet guy on the high post. They've run a lot of elbow sets through him recently. Zal Horford, I think Horford's game. Over the last probably six weeks, five, six, now, nah, yeah. probably less than that, probably like three, four weeks, Hawthorne's been real, real good. And I know they're trying to give him a bit more rest. They're sitting in for longer stretches. Daniel Tice kind of allows for that to happen as well. I think Scal noted that during the game yesterday. But the production you're getting out of him, in, you know, he's switching onto the perimeter. He's holding his own on the perimeter, switching onto big guys down on the block. And Jason Tatum credited him as one of the team's best playmakers after yesterday's game. I think Horford's been one of the unsung heroes of this season. I know people have spoke about him here and there, but I felt like I feel like a lot of people just expected him to be Al Horford light. You know what I mean? We're not getting mm-hmm. the same version of Al Horford back that we saw leave. And now I'm kind of like, we've pretty much got the same version back as what walked out the door. It feels like, like that, right? Like it feels like yeah, a bit of a he's game so evergreen, man. 
and, and I think there was there was I think there was a small period where it was like ah, maybe 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 the owl legs are, are finally catching up because at the beginning of the year, you know, the shot wasn't there. The shot really hasn't been there until the last you know month or so, which is why I, I think we're seeing the fully formed version of, of Al Horford. That's basically the same guy who left here. But at the beginning of the year, we were like, man, this guy still has the legs. Look at him go. I think there was a little bit of a stretch in the middle of the season where it was like, ah, maybe, maybe it's finally kicking in those 35, 36, whatever, whatever age it might be. But the Al Horford that's been out there recently, and especially if you're going to be able to hold him to under 25 minutes a game or so, which they've been able to do, which to your point had to do a lot with Daniel Tice. Like last night, he played 23 minutes and 40 seconds in the game. So, you know, I think the more that you can manage his minutes, get Daniel Tice in there just to get about 12 to, you know, 15 minutes so that you can save, you know, some of those Al Horford minutes when you know that he can do it, but you know that you're going to need it more often in the playoffs where it's like, hey, listen, like, you know, you and Rob are going 30 plus tonight, going 35 minutes tonight. Like the more you can manage his minutes in this way so you can keep his effectiveness the way that it needs to be, it's going to be absolutely huge for this team. And yeah, he's been unbelievable for this team over the last, you know, like you said, four or five weeks, whatever it might be. Long mate, continue. I'm a big fan of what he brings. I'm at the point now, like earlier in the season, I was kind of like, yo, if they need to flip him at the end of the year, you know, save some money, then so be it. Now I'm at the point where I'm like, you can't let Al Horford leave. Just, just eat the full guarantee if you have to. Yeah. If this, if he's gonna, get, if he's gonna be able to replicate this year again next year, then just eat the full guarantee. Because at the end of the day, it's gonna be very, very difficult to find a re- a, a replacement that gives you everything Horford. Yeah, gives you. I, 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 I mean, Williams would eventually get. I mean, this version of Al Horford is why I think, you know, if, if this is what we were going to get, is why a lot of us were like, listen, like, it does stink to move the number 16 pick to get off of Kemba, but this guy, this player, this guy who most of us, you know, wish had never left Boston, but understand why he did that bag that he got from from Philly. You just can't pass that up sometimes. And, you know, that was around the same time that the whole Kyrie mess was going on and, and Al just didn't want to be a part of it. And I, I can't necessarily blame him for that. And so he went and took the bag that, that was available to him at the time but you know i think a lot of celtics fans were like have and this year included have been thinking man what if al never left what if al was here that 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 whole time so it was a very welcomed reunion i think it just made a lot more sense with this team and allowing you know marcus smart to get his opportunity to become the full-time point guard allowing the jays to fall into their respective hierarchy of you know who handles the scoring load and so removing kemba from that equation getting al and yeah the 16th pick is a little tough to give up but you know you're seeing the benefits of it right now and to your point even though we've gone over with keith smith and others like how that contract is is very malleable can kind of switch for what you need Right now, it feels like it's a, I don't want to say it's a steal of a contract. It's still a pretty expensive contract, but it's definitely one that that's palatable and one that I think has a ton of value specifically to this team. Yeah, I'd just eat it at this point. It's only one more year. I know that a lot of people are going to be rolling their eyes like, no, you don't eat that money for someone of his age. But I just don't know where you find comparable impact yeah you know i mean if mean? there's if there's a certain scenario that we're not even contemplating now maybe there's there's something but i i think for me like i'm with you i think it's if i had to put money on what either i want and what i think is going to happen both of those are that he's back in green next year and, and most likely he's here for the the full extent of that contract like i said i'm sure scenarios exist out there that we're not thinking of because the nba is basically a soap opera and things change every day so i'm sure there's something out there that we're not thinking of that could change that but the way that i'm seeing things right now i would fully expect al horford to be back in green for for the majority of next year at least 
Yeah, and I'm happy with. I'm more like I said. I'd I'd like another year just bringing Grant Williams through. You know, what I mean, this is the first year where we've really seen a big uptick from him. If anybody's going to give you a large portion of what Horford gives you, it's going to be Horford. Yeah. Now, unless you're trying, so you you have to kind. It's going to be Williams. Sorry, so you have to try <laughs> and bring Williams through a bit more. Another season learning from Al would be great. I also think he's had a huge impact on Rob. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to, I think that another year there would be fantastic. Did too. you, uh, and I apologize. I don't know who to give credit to this for. I saw the picture going around of, um, so it's, it's referring to, you know, how Al has been around Rob smart JT yeah. and JB where he was splinter from the Ninja turtles and they were babies. I and have then not the, seen and, this. And then the bottom picture is all of the Ninja turtles, which are JT, JB, Rob and smart are all grown up. And now, and now Al's a smaller version of splinter. Oh man, I haven't seen this. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I, I think. Let me see if I can find this out. I, I think Keith Smith might have tweeted it out, and he said the same thing I did, where he's not sure. I had seen it before too, uh, and I don't know who to give credit to, and so I do apologize for that. But it's a really cool picture. So that's that's just something to think about. Where you know we talk about the value of Al is not all. It's not even just all in the you know the stats that we can pull up for him. It's in what he does behind the scenes for this team and being, you know, I mean, I think he's the only guy over 30 years old on this team. I could be mistaken on that, but I'm pretty sure he's the only 30 plus year old on this team. And so having him in that locker room as a stabilizing presence, the guy who, you know, for the most part has been through it all and seen it all like that's that that means a lot, you know. I was just checking how old Udoka was because I was curious how close that Horford was to him <laughs> I think in age. Was, I think he's closer to Udoka than he is to probably anyone else on the team. Like there's yeah, actually, he's actually came, Udoka's Udoka's forty four, so there's not much. Gap. Okay, yeah. There's I mean, honestly, gap. and then after that, I, I'd have to. I think I think Tice is maybe twenty eight, and that's that might be the, one of the older guys on the roster. <laughs> so it's not that far of a gap. <laughs> twenty nine, you were close, man. You were yeah. close. I mean, when I, and then I'm looking at like I've been like really heavily trying to figure out some of the stuff that Udoka's been running with this team recently, and that's for a different podcast. But I will say that I feel like we're starting to see exactly why he was so highly rated before the season began. And I also feel like as well when you're looking at the way he 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 how can I put this without kind of rehashing what we've already said we spoke about how he holds guys accountable but he's so encouraging to some of these guys as well like i, I spent about four or five minutes of like the third quarter really trying to focus on whenever udoka was in the on the, in the shot trying to figure like just trying to read the body language see what he, yeah. if he was getting on guys back whether he was telling them to hustle and for the most part he was kind of like super encouraging with these dudes especially with someone like grant i think grant grant had like um a pretty boneheaded play and Udoka was shaking his head like what I think do you know that was earlier in the game actually when uh Jokic fell on smart just before oh, yeah, then yeah. there'd been um there'd been a playoff grant and Udoka was kind of like shaking his head as if to say what are you doing man you need to do like you know that's not what we've been drilling up but when you see like these battles like Mike Malone's no joke of a coach you know what I mean he's done fantastic things over in Denver and you see these two coaches go head to head, and it just feels like Udoka's just out scheming these dudes every single day. 
And I, I don't know, man. I'm kind of running out of good things to say about this team because they're not giving I mean, me that's, anything. I mean, that's the hardest part about us doing, you know, three shows a week is that, I mean, they keep beating people up. They are shooting the ball better, as we've talked about. You know, JT, JB are playing awesome. And that's been, you know, we, we can chop it up and, and copy and paste some of these podcasts over the last couple of weeks because that's just been what's happening night in and night out. And while it's unbelievable to see, it's, you know, my dictionary is not as big as, as you and Greg. You're a writer. Greg's an English teacher. I don't I don't have the same vocabulary. I'm running out of words and descriptions to your point of how I can talk about this team. Do you know what? It's super difficult as well because, like, when they're winning, you get a couple of weeks of really good discussion, and then it's like, right, how do we say what we've already – like you said, we could – when they're losing, it's like, man, can they stop losing? But the things you can talk yeah. about are so vast and there's such a wide array. Like you can, start you can change it with a trade. Prospects. You can change it with a rotation change. You can change it with, you know, some guys getting more minutes, less minutes. Like, there's there's so many variables to talk about when the when team's you're struggling winning, it's how to like, fix it. But when you're uh, winning, it's like you don't want to change anything. You know what I mean? So it's Yeah, like, and it's not like you can go deep <laughs> into X's and O's either because verbally, without, like, most people who consume this show do so via audio only. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm sort of, we, we can dive into how they're running a bunch of RAM offense and how they're using a load of, um, you know, like hammer screens and mm-hmm. Iverson sets. But when you start going into, like, the different variations, Nobody can see what you're talking. So yeah. they're just hearing words. So like that kind of goes out the window too. And you're like, oh, what? I guess we'll just talk about how these guys played on a night-to-night basis and hope right? it goes And, and it, gets, it, it gets a little bit tougher. But here's something I think we should talk about. And, and you and I started this conversation off air. The calibration of, of expectations for this team. Because it's it's been an absolute wild ride. So if you think back to... You know, let's take this in segments. You go back to all the way to the beginning of the season. I think, you know, between myself, you, and Greg, I think we all had them, you know, kind of honestly where they, where they ended up being now, where it's like, hey, this is probably like fourth or fifth best team, probably just outside that that top tier. Then we had, you know, up until the, the start of the new year where this team was, was 500. It felt like every two days it was either what's wrong, let's talk about the shooting, do we know what Ime is doing with rotations or whatever it might be? And we had the same dialogue over and over again. What trade needs to happen? And then as things have clicked, now we're in this position. And it's really wild to think about, you know, what we were talking about in mid-December and how we're talking about this team in, you know, on March 21st. And the Celtics are currently 44 and 28, three and a half games out of first, percentage points out of the three spot. And I'm having wild thoughts, Adam. I'll be honest. Like, especially with games like last night. Like, it's it's I, I, I try to I try to keep myself grounded with what I think this team could be because I don't ever, you know, kind of like that Brad Stevens. I don't like getting too low. I don't like getting too high. But I'm pretty high, man. I'm not gonna lie. I've been I've been smoking that Snoop Dogg. Like it's 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 it's, it's <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, you watch a game like last night and we were talking like in that second quarter where it feels like they can't miss and they're destroying. Yeah, I know the Nuggets don't have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter, and so they're not at their their peak, but they've been a pretty good team all year. Like you said, Mike Malone's a really good coach, and that that roster still has players, and the way that this team can bully some teams up, some good teams up, it's hard not to think really really big scale with this team yeah I'm, i mean i could, i really want to start pushing this celtics 2022 nba champions i really do i want to be the dude that leads the charge but i can't be that dude like you know as it's much tough, as i want man. to be 
Like uh, as you as we spoke about before we came on air, I think both of us came into the season like, yeah, second round exit is a really big improvement on what we've seen recently, and we can we can classify that as a solid season. Mm-hmm. Now though, I'm like anything short of the finals is going to be a real kick to the nuts. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? I'm like, it's, man, it's I know conference finals actually. Let's let's re let's re- yeah. Classic. Okay, that's anything less than a conference finals appearance is a real shot to the uh to the groin. And it's tough because the East is really good, man. So like the way yeah. I always try to think about it is just like, okay, who am I gonna like if, if we're in a series with this team, do I expect us to win? And if I'm looking at what I presume will be the playoff picture, so I'm assuming Toronto and Brooklyn in some form or fashion get that seven eight seed, the Hornets and Hawks don't don't overtake them in the play. You know, I look at that and I see the Raptors, I see the Cavs, I see the Bulls. Those are the three teams that I look at that I go, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but the Celtics play those three teams in a series, I expect to win. I expect them to win. I think with Brooklyn, they're just such a question mark and they have Kevin Durant. I don't know what the heck to think about that one. And then I think with Philly, (laughs) Milwaukee, and Miami, those are just three really good teams that I don't know that I would expect us to win, but I'm also not going to be surprised if we win. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I think for me, Miami is the biggest wild card there because at the end of the day, it's still a team coached by Spolstra. Yeah. It's still a team that has Kyle Lowry, has Jimmy Butler, has Bam Adebayo. Adebayo's regularly given Boston problems with the way he initiates offense from the high block. Miami are a team that if like if you've got to face Miami in the playoffs, I'm I'm concerned. Like yeah. heavily, heavily concerned. It's a little bit different with Milwaukee. You expect Milwaukee to come in and be favorites. And I've always felt like Boston play better when their back's against the wall anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we've and they play really well quite... against Milwaukee for whatever reason. We really yeah, they do. pretty well with them. Similar to yeah. Golden State. No matter how well Golden State are playing, they really struggle against Boston. With Brooklyn, I'm kind of like, yo, even... Even if the Celtics have to face Brooklyn, there's going to be at least two or three games where there's no Kyrie Irving. And, and yeah. that's a huge blow, especially in the playoffs when you're putting so much pressure on KD. If you can convince Tatum not to get in a one-on-one scoring battle with KD, you should have enough to win. Now, if Ben Simmons is playing, obviously that changes that's the narrative the other quite card, a lot. Right? Yeah, because you think but about what version of Ben Simmons are you getting after 18 well, months out? So that's the thing. And like, it's a lot like, like, like this is why I say I think Brooklyn's such a wild card because I, I, I honestly think it probably is too much for them to, to figure out the whole part-time Kyrie thing bring Simmons back with what 10 games left and there's still no definitive time of when he's coming back and they probably and they got they're going to have to go from the play in to go through three rounds of, of tough basketball like i think that's probably too much for them to actually make the finals but when you have a guy like Kevin Durant number 1 if a team's going to do that you need an all-time player to do it Kevin Durant's a guy that can can kind of put you on his back and and potentially do that i think it's probably going to be a bit too much but on their way in their attempt to do that I think that's where they can go ahead and maybe knock out a Philly, a Milwaukee, a Miami, a Boston. You know what I mean? They might not get yeah. all the way through to the finals, but you're still going to be scared as hell when you when you go up against them in, in round one or round two. And you got to see that. And there's just so many variables that, you know, I, I think Brooklyn's scary as a team that you don't want to play, but I actually consider them very low on the scale of teams that I think can make it out of the East, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I completely understand that. Because like you say, Brooklyn are going to be one of these teams that even if they don't make it to the finals, they're going to have a big time win on their record against some team or other. Uh, The other one you mentioned was Chicago. Now, I was quite high on Chicago midway through the season. Obviously, their slip directly coincides with Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball being out. Patrick Williams comes back for him this week. 
I think Lonzo and Caruso will probably be back by the playoffs, I'd assume. Caruso's like, already back. Uh, Patrick back Williams. Now? So Caruso came back, I think, last week. Patrick Williams is coming He's back. back this week. He's just, just coming back this week. Lonzo. He just leaves Lonzo to, uh, is the one that remains out. I don't know what his timeline is. But if they're fully healthy, like a fully healthy Chicago Bulls is no joke. You know I would agree saying? with that. I still expect the Celtics to win that, but I totally agree with that. I and think, I that, I think that a full, fully healthy Chicago has so many options, so many scoring options, that they're the team that would severely test Boston's defense. Because you've got Vucevic, you've got DeRozan mm-hmm. that's going to play on the mid-range, he's going to be operating on Iverson screens and um, elbow offense. Then you've got Zach Levine that's going to be operating on rip throughs. So you've got to have somebody capable of rotating over, but who are you going to rotate off when you've got Lonzo Ball in the corner and he's a reliable. So I just think that they pose so many questions to a switching defense. Out of all of the teams, Chicago are probably the one where I'm like, yo, that's a trap series. Yeah. Because I think a lot of Celtics fans expect to win that series. And, and, and I'm in that category, and but I do I do see your points. I think for me, it's it's kind of it's similar to the to the Brooklyn thing where Caruso's just coming back. Caruso's a nice player. He's a nice player. Let's let's not get it twisted. He's he's not, you know, he's, he's a really good defender, but he's a nice player. Patrick Williams, I love Patrick Williams upside. He's a second year guy that's coming back in. That if he's playing the Celtics, he's going to be expected to to take on you know the majority of dealing with Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum, and I think he's their best guy to to provide that matchup. But he's also in his second year and hasn't played all season, so I'm not fully committed that he's going to be at 100. percent And we still don't know with Lonzo coming back. So I think offensively, you know, I, I agree with you. But I think on the defensive end for for the Bulls, I don't trust that they are going to have. Enough oh, they're not hanging. That's my point. And I think Vooch, who I like, you know, he can be exploited defensively. And I think, you know, I mean, his backup in the front court is Tristan Thompson. So, you know, and, and Javante Green's one of their main guys. Well, you know, Javante, that's our guy. I love his athleticism. He's been their power forward for a lot of the season, you know? Yeah. So I think with our double bigs, like that, there's going to be ways that we can take advantage of that. And so long term in a series where they're still getting a lot of their guys back, I think Pat Williams, who's more ramped up, I think Caruso in and ball if they've been you know had longer stretches before the playoffs where they've kind of gotten their their legs back together that's a scarier team but i think for where they're at health wise it would be really tough for me it would be it would be really disappointing for me if a team that's just getting their guys back together like that could come in and, and take us out which looks like we would have home court advantage in that series that for me would be disappointing i agree with you that they're scary and i think they would be they're not going to be an easy out i don't think it's I don't the trap series yeah yeah I don't think there's an easy out in all of the Eastern Conference. I think the Cavs are the closest thing to an easy out, but I think the Eastern Conference, all the way one through eight, the teams I expect, you're going to get a grueling series no matter what. Now, to end this, I want to end on this, then since we're talking expectations. I want to end with throwing out all logic, get logic, wrap it up in a ball, throw it out the window. What would be your ideal finals matchup from an entertainment standpoint that involved the Celtics? From an entertainment standpoint, so mine's the Grizzlies. Just to preface this, okay. I was I was thinking them. I, I honestly, man, I love the games that we usually play versus the Warriors. Like I really do. Yeah. Like I and, I and I think last this last time where we where we kind of blew them out a little bit. You know, if you have their their fully healthy team, I would love to see what that looks like for a seven game series. But I think honestly, any of the Suns, Grizzlies, and Warriors, those would be the three teams that I would love to see from an entertainment perspective. The Grizzlies, I totally get. John Moran on that big stage. I mean, come on. 
Like, who doesn't <laughs> want to see that? You know what I mean? Like, that sounds great. We know what the Warriors are like on a big stage. And the Suns, like, the Suns are probably the scariest because I think they just play right now the best team basketball, especially when Chris yeah, Paul's healthy. Sure. They play the best team basketball at anybody, and they have very few weak spots on their team. But, I mean, very similar to the Warriors, I think they play a beautiful type of basketball. So I think that would just be a heck of a chess match to find out, you know, from a team that also has a really good defense, like how that's going to work. But those would be the three that I would I would look at as the most entertaining matchup should the Celtics make it to the finals. I like them. I think the Suns are the one where I wouldn't want – I wouldn't include them in my entertainment standpoint because I just okay. feel like they'd put a hiding on everybody, man. Everybody's getting a whooping <laughs> off the Suns. It's not entertaining when you go for you go for an 0-4 – so yeah, <laughs> no, no, I think that's. I think if it was entertainment, it would have to be Warriors and Grizzlies go go one yeah, two yeah. in some order. The, the Warriors are. Uh, I love watching the Warriors play. Anyway, they're one yeah. of my favorite teams Same. to watch outside the Celtics. Tell you who was a and we'll a random for. Tell yeah. you who I watched a bunch of last year, and I have no idea why. But I watched so much New Orleans last year, and I have no idea why. Uh, I can tell you why. It weren't because of Zion. Okay, well, that was gonna be my. That's why I, because I, I was, I was fascinated last year by Point Zion, so I watched a ton of. Yeah, games. actually, yeah, it might have been Point Zion, and I was kind of. <laughs> See, what it wasn't just Zion; it was Point Zion. <laughs> yeah, it had to be Point Zion, right? Like, uh, and now it's like the Invisible Man Zion because he was meant to be back in September, and we're now in yeah. March. And the, and the thing is, like, I, I mean, we don't want to turn this into a Pelicans podcast, but like, I actually kind of like that CJ McCollum move they made because when you look at their team of what it theoretically could be, like. I don't know if it's a championship team, but it's a bunch of dudes. It's a bunch of dudes that can play. Ballers, you know what I'm saying? Dude. I yeah. love Jonas Valanciunas. Big fan. Yeah. I think Brandon Ingram's improved a bunch year on year. Mm-hmm. And then you add in CJ. And then you add CJ, you throw Zion in there. You know, Herb Jones has been like, you know, a, a, anyone that's been diving into, like, you know, any type of talk about like rookies this year, like Herb Jones has been, you know, a massive get for them on the defensive end. Uh, I mean, they, I mean, I'm not a huge Devontae Graham guy, but if he's coming off your bench as a sick man, he's a little microwave type of type Trey of Murphy was like, getting love to begin the year. That's what I'm saying. So, like they, they, they've got some guys on that team and like I look at this. It's stand, a dumpster I can't, fire, dude. They're eleven games under five hundred. The Pelicans are now past them in the standings. That the the Lakers are going to be on. And honestly, it's a chance to catch them. It's crazy. Ron individually, he's got the worst. Talk about a game before a game happens. As usual, if you've enjoyed this show, make sure you scroll down, leave them five stars. Make sure you write something nice. Uh, I got told to do this more myself as well because apparently the job was good. So I'll give Will a rest since it's early morning. If you enjoyed this show, make sure to share it on social media. One, if we're doing it, everybody's just like, well, you recorded the show. You're meant to share it. If listeners are doing it, it means we're doing a good job. And if you're sharing it, you know, tag us in it. We'll retweet. We'll share some love. And it's just a way to grow 
organically grow the podcast that doesn't look like crazy self-promotion so please if you've enjoyed the show just drop it in twitter drop it on facebook maybe put it in ready on instagram wherever you like wherever your social media presence is just share it tag myself at adam taylor nba tag will at willbun13 tag celtics blog at celtics blog and we'll share we'll give it some love but it just it looks more authentic that way and it is more authentic that way other than that, let us know. We'll send you some flyers, some business cards. <laughs> yeah, you we got you. We got you. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Tell a 